which is this evening. So hope to see you back at 6 o'clock tonight. Now that leads us to our message this morning. And the message is entitled Impartation. We're going to have an impartation services. And so this message is called Impartation. Hope that you picked up a sheet as you came in and follow along with us. Here's the first point I would say to you. Our salvation is imputed and imparted. Our salvation experience, it's imputed and it's imparted. Now you say, well, what are those words? Well, I put it in your notes. Impute means to attribute or to ascribe uh, to someone. So you attribute it, you ascribe it. You may not give it to them, but you've attributed it as if they had it. That's, impart, or that's uh, imputation. imputation. Um, like, it's like a legal transaction, something just declared and said. Uh, maybe you had a fine, the fine was paid, and they attribute that you paid it. You may not have paid it, but it's attributed to you, so it's imputed. Second word is impart. Impart means to give or to bestow. You've actually given something to someone else. It's something that they have received. It's, a, it's more of an experience. I have received this. I can feel it. I can touch it. I, I can experience it. So that is what it means to impart. Now, there's two terms that I want to address right here. And they're sort of theological terms, although they're not that difficult. And the first one is justification. And the second one is sanctification. Now, there's a difference between these two words. And it's good for us to have an understanding what the difference is because it will help you keep an even keel in your spiritual walk. And let me just say, justification is imputed. Sanctification is imparted. So let's look at the first one. Justification is imputed through Christ. So this is something that a justification means you have an absolute proof of this. Proof that you are uh, complete, that you're exonerated. So when you're justified, it means that there is absolute rightness. You have passed the test. You are justified. And you can stand there without any fear. When I was going to Bible school, they said this. They said, justified is just as if I'd never sinned. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. It's a complete standing of wholeness, no fear of any condemnation. So there's a justification. Now, it's imputed through Christ. You, none of us, can stand before God and say, I'm complete, I have no problem, you can judge anything that I did, and I'm justified. No, you can't. Uh, your righteousness is not enough. The Bible says our righteousness is the filthy rags. You can bring the very best you can do, but it will still fall short of God's standard because we cannot be justified within ourselves. We're justified through Christ. We're justified through what he did on Calvary. He paid the penalty of our sin, and he has actually done a legal transaction. He has taken our sin upon himself, and he's given us his righteousness. 
the way the Bible says this, says that our life is hid in Christ. We're not standing on our own merit. When we come before God, it's not me alone. No, my life is hid in Christ. And that's how I'm going to find entrance into heaven. It's because he has covered me. He has imputed to me. He has ascribed to me his righteousness. I may not have it. I may not be experiencing it totally, but he's attributed it to me. It's like there's a, let's put it this way. You need to have $1,000 of righteousness be able to pass the test to enter heaven. None of us have it. But what God does when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he deposits in our spiritual bank account in heaven, our righteousness bank account, $1,000 worth of righteousness. And it's deposited for us. We didn't put it in. We don't have it in our pockets. We're not handling it. But it's attributed to us. It's been imputed to us. He's just given us that standing and saying, you have this righteousness. And we are then justified. It's a free gift. All we need to do is receive it by faith. It's deposited on our behalf. Our salvation doesn't depend on your works. It depends on the finished work of Calvary. Now that's what it means to receive salvation and the, for it to be imputed to us. I'm so glad that that's the case. I'm glad that it has been imputed and it's not by works. The Bible says, by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God. It's by grace, through faith, that it's been given to us. Listen to what it says in Romans 4 and verse 5 and 6. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man, and I'll add her women, to the man or woman to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Now that needs a hallelujah. <laughs> that should cause your heart to leap. Don't get jaded to that truth. It sort of sounds like you have because I, I see some excitement on some faces, but you really need to be excited that David talks about this time. When there's going to be blessed, we're going to be blessed. God's imputed righteousness apart from our works. He's just given it to us. Thank the Lord. No wonder we can sing how great a salvation, so full, so free. It should stir in our hearts. It's the foundation. It's why we remember it when we come together and we take the bread and the cup and we remember his broken body and his shed blood because that is where our righteousness comes from. You can't be good enough. You can't work up enough righteousness. You have to just receive it by grace. You, it humbles us. We need to receive it with a, now, uh, with a bent knee and our head bowed and saying, Lord, we just humbly receive this great salvation. I'm so blessed that I've heard the good news, and that is good news like none other. And that is the part where righteousness 
is imparted, or I'm sorry, where righteousness is imputed to us. Now, let's go on to the next point. Sanctification is imparted through the Holy Spirit. So justification is by Christ, but sanctification is imparted. Now, what does it mean to be sanctified? It simply means to be fully dedicated and set apart for God. You've yielded every part of your being to God, and you say, God, use me. I'm no longer living for myself. I'm living for you. I'm an instrument in your hand. I am set apart, just like vessels in the temple were set apart from natural use for a spiritual use, a sacred use, and they were called, they were sanctified. How were they sanctified? They anointed them with oil. Oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. And so we are sanctified through the Holy Spirit and our whole life is dedicated and set apart for the Lord. Listen to what it says here in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here is the process that happens once you've been justified. God now gives us his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit begins to transform us from the inside out. It begins to move into your mind, and your mind is renewed. The renewing of your mind by the Holy Spirit. You begin to think differently. You begin to value things differently. Your values shift. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. He transforms your mind, and then he begins to transform your emotions, and your emotions begin to be aligned with God, and you begin to feel the way he feels. Your heart is broken by the things that break God's heart. You begin to be aligned. This is sanctification. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. You can see it's experiential. It's now working in me and through me, and it's changing me. It's not my own efforts. It's not me. I'm just not trying to do this by myself. No, this is a work of the Holy Spirit as I yield. We have to cooperate. We have to participate. There's a yielding, and as he touches areas of our life, we die to ourselves to live unto the Lord. Like John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he will increase. The more you give yourself to the Lord, the more you die to your own ideas, your own feelings, your own thoughts, your own pleasures, your own comforts, and you say, that's not what I'm about. I'm here to serve you. In delight, I'm here to, to be used by you, Lord. What a tremendous thing. This is sanctification, and it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens day by day. There's a growth. It is spiritual growth. Now, this spiritual growth does not always happen chronologically. In other words, I'm two years a Christian, and so I'm such a level in my spiritual growth. Not necessarily. Uh, you might be a Christian for 10, 15 years and still be a baby in Christ. That's what Paul wrote to the first, uh, 1 Corinthians 3. He says, by this time you should be adults, you should be teachers, but you're still babes in Christ. They're still back at the beginning. Uh, because they didn't yield. 
Now, their salvation isn't dependent upon it because that's by faith in the Lord Jesus. But their usefulness, their rewards that we're going to be stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going, our works are going to be judged. It's going to be judged according to how much you have yielded and you have followed the leading of the Holy Spirit and we'll be rewarded for that. The Bible says some, they're not going to get anything. It said he himself will be saved because salvation is imputed. But the impartation of God's Holy Spirit is preparing us for works of service. Now, folks, you need to really understand this and keep this in your mind because Satan loves to try to twist these two things. And he tries to uh, put on you condemnation when you sin or when you fail and, oh, my, uh, my salvation is gone and, oh, God's so disappointed in me and so forth. No, God in, has imputed that righteousness. It's not based on your works. You just need to come back, remember what Christ has done, revel in it, remember it, say, Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your forgiveness. And you just, you get your foundation straight. You, you, there's no fear. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So we need to understand that. But at the same time, we shouldn't just say, well, you know what, then that's fine. I'm just going to stay there. No, there's an impartation. God wants to continually work in you. And you need to cooperate with that. And you need to hunger after that and desire it. So just, just an interesting thing for those that want to study this a little further. Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, those three or four chapters in Romans are like the Magna Charta of salvation. They uh, really lay out, Paul write, lays out in Romans, the basis of our salvation right from the beginning. But those four chapters in particular, he, he deals with. And if you'll notice, in chapters 5 and 6, there's two things he's dealing with, the old man and Christ. The terminology is the old man and Christ. And so it says our old man was crucified with Christ on the cross. And then when we are baptized, our old man is buried in the waters of baptism and we rise to live a new life in Christ. And so that speaks of the things that are imputed to us. Our old life, our old man, our old person has died. And so our legal standing before God is that he died once for all and there needs to be no more sacrifice. So that's the area of the basis and the solid basis of our salvation. But now if you go on to Romans 7 and 8, you'll notice that the terminology shifts to the flesh and the Holy Spirit. And it says that we're not in the flesh, but we're in the Spirit, if the Spirit of Christ dwells in us. And if we receive the Holy Spirit, he quickens our mortal body and he transforms us and changes us. It tells us that we should... Keep our mind, if you, if you uh, want to live in the spirit, you, you look at things above. And if you live in the flesh, you're going to look at things below. And so it challenges us between flesh and spirit. Now, what's the difference here? Just want you to see the old man is, that, is the technical legal aspect. And when Christ died, the old man was buried when you accepted Christ. And so legally, the old man is dead. And who, uh, who did the work? Christ. But now, in practice, as we live today, the living out of the old man in my life today is called the flesh in the Bible. It's not just my physical flesh. It's the flesh. Flesh is our being apart from Christ. 
apart from the Holy Spirit. Anything that's not been saturated and covered by the Holy Spirit is your flesh. And as soon as the Spirit touches your flesh, it dies. It says we put to death the deeds of the flesh uh, by the Spirit. And when the Spirit touches it, we die, we, we dedicate, we're sanctified in that area. And so the living out of the old man is the flesh. The living out of Christ today in our life is the Holy Spirit. The manifestation of Christ today in the world is the Holy Spirit. It's his spirit called the Spirit of Christ. And he works. And we, we experience God today through the Holy Spirit. Where are we experiencing it? In our flesh. And so it moves in us and it transforms us and it changes us. So I just want you to see, you know, it's some basic teaching, but I'm surprised how many Christians don't see this. How many get back and forth one way or the other on this? And we need to see both. There is justification that's imputed to us through Christ, through faith, but there's also an impartation of God's Holy Spirit into our lives that transforms us, and it's an experience. I find that Christians and even some churches, they'll focus on one side or the other. And they'll just focus on what Christ did and his finished work, and it's very doctrinal, and it's very uh, outward, and, you know, it's, very, it's, it's just believing what Christ has done. No, that's good. We need to do that. I'm not knocking that. We need, that's a foundation we need to have. But then sometimes they never speak about the Holy Spirit. They never, a Christian never thinks about the Holy Spirit in their life today. It's always just going back and understanding more principles in the Word, which is good, but there's more to it. There's an impartation. There's an experience we can have in the Holy Spirit. And then there's some Christians that go way over on that side, and they're just always looking for the latest manifestation of God's Spirit. And they fail to realize the foundation they have in Christ. Or, and because of that, every time they feel a move and they feel, they feel like they ought to come and give their heart to the Lord again and get saved all over again. No, you don't have to get saved all over again, but you do need to dedicate your life over and over again to the Lord as he moves by his Holy Spirit. So you see, it's not a either or. It's an and both. I mean, both and. We, we, we want the imputation of, of our righteousness through Christ, but we also want to receive the impartation of God's Holy Spirit that we experience, we feel. It's transforming us. It's changing us. It's empowering us. And so these two things together... Justification by faith imputed to us and the impartation of God's Holy Spirit that's bringing the fruit of the Spirit in our life and the gifts of the Spirit in our lives. Okay, now let's move on and just sort of see how practically this impartation works. Here's your next point. The laying on of hands positions us for impartation. The laying on of hands positions us for impartation. Now, what do we mean by the laying on of hands? This is a term that we find in the Bible, the laying on of hands. And we find it uh, spoken specifically of in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. Listen to what it says. The foundation has already been laid for us to build upon, turning away from dead works to embrace the faith in God, teaching about different baptisms, 
impartation by the laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Now, in this portion of Scripture, the writer is saying to the people, there is foundation stones that are laid that we need to now build on. And he names six foundation stones. Repentance from dead works. Faith towards God. That's what we've already said. You can't be good enough. Your works are not going to be beneficial. They're dead. They're filthy rags. So you turn from dead works, repent from dead works, and faith in God. You put faith in Christ. This is what he did. My trust is in Christ. He has saved me. So those are two foundation stones. Then he goes on and says the doctrine of baptism. So we know the thing that we do after someone puts their faith in Christ is that they're water baptized. And by their choice and by their experience, they say, I'm burying my old life because it died with Christ on the cross. I'm burying it in the waters of baptism. And I'm going to rise to live a new life in the Lord. By the way, we're having a water baptism. You'll see in the notices in a few weeks' time. If you haven't been water baptized, that's a foundation stone that needs to be laid in your life. And so here's, here's uh, he's going through the foundation stones. And then he mentions the fifth one. He says it's resurrection from the dead. We believe we're all going to stand and uh, we're going to be raised. We have eternal life. It's not just die and you're gone. No, you're going to be resurrected from the dead and eternal judgment. We're going to stand before God and we're going to be judged according to our works. Now, I left one out, the fourth one. What was it? The laying on of hands. Now, let me just ask you something. If I were to ask you as a Christian, name the six foundation stones. Just name six foundation stones to your faith. I think most of us say, well, repentance from dead works. So we'd say it in our own words, but we'd, we'd know. Hey, we can't be saved. We've we got to trust Christ alone. You would say, yeah, we've got to put faith in Christ. I mean, you've got to have it's faith in God. We're saved through faith. And then we'd say, you know what? And we believe in water baptism. There needs to be water baptism. And we would say, you know, we believe in resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. But how many of you would say laying on of hands? I dare say, unless you knew in this portion of scripture, you wouldn't name it as the six found, one of the six foundation stones. We don't see the value of it. And it's not the value of just the act of laying on of hands. It's what it means. Impartation. Where through the laying on of hands, there is imparted to people through prayer an impartation of God's Holy Spirit. That is a major thing. Yes, we have to have faith in God, and we need to be water baptized, but you need to have the impartation. Isn't that what the Bible says in Acts 2.38? When they said, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. These are the aspects of our salvation. How was it given in the, old, in the, in the Bible? Through the laying on of hands. Now, I must quickly add, it doesn't mean you have to have the laying on of hands to receive the Holy Spirit. Um, but it was the God-given way in the Bible that they did it. It didn't control it. It positions us. The point I made in your notes is that 
The laying on of hands positions you. It puts you in the place where I'm ready to receive. It doesn't mean that it has to be through the laying on of hands, but it's the way that they did it. And so it is a foundation stone. The, I think I put in your notes, the laying on of hands is the impartation of a spiritual reality through, a, through the authority and prayer of believers. And so as you know here, if someone uh, accepts Christ, is water baptized, at the end of the service we ask them to come forward, we gather around and we lay hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. Believing in that act of laying on of hands that they receive something. Now again, it's not our hands alone. As someone said, it can be empty hands on empty heads. But certainly the hands are empty unless we're doing it by faith, believing we as a church, we've received this, and now what we've received, we're passing it on, we're bestowing it upon you, and so through the laying on of hands, it's passed on to believers. And it's a powerful, powerful experience. It's all in the aspect of impartation. Now, I just put quickly here four things that the Bible says happens through the laying on of hands. And the first one was receiving the Holy Spirit in filling. We've already mentioned to this. At the very beginning, when you become a Christian, you believe, you're baptized, and through the laying on of hands, there's an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's not that you have to have the laying on of hands. Five places in the Bible, it tells us of when people uh, receive the Holy Spirit. Three out of the five places said they laid hands on them. The two places where it doesn't say they laid hands was at the very beginning in Acts 2. Of course, no one had received it. They just heard a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind that filled the whole house where it was sitting. They were all filled. The other place it says it doesn't say they laid hands on them was that in Acts 10 at Cornelius' house. He was a Gentile, and he went there, and they didn't even know whether Gentiles could receive salvation. But the Holy Spirit was poured out while Peter spoke the words, and Peter said, whoa, these people received the Holy Spirit. It said, how can we forbid water that they be baptized, being they've received the Holy Spirit the same way we have? And so you can see, in general, though, it was the laying on of hands. But it's not like it's an essential thing. I don't want to get people's thoughts in their mind. Oh, I've got to have the laying on of hands. But the laying on of hands is something that the Bible says is, was a practice of the early church. Acts 8.18, Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. The next thing is receiving a gift of the Spirit. Receiving a gift of the Spirit. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy 4.14. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. The presbytery is that group of people that were leading the church there. And so they laid hands, and they, he's telling Timothy, you know what? When we laid hands on you, there was a spiritual gift given to you. Now, you need to stir that up. There's something that happens through spiritual gifts. And I, I tell you, it, it's a powerful thing through the laying on of hands. 
And so prophecy can be given by the laying on of hands. Uh, and, and it says here, this was actually given to Timothy when they laid hands on him. There was prophetic words spoken. And we've, we've experienced that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Prophetic words can be given over someone as they're being prayed for. And in that process, there's an impartation of the Holy Spirit into their life. I remember praying for uh, a lady in India uh, when I was there. And uh, I was praying that she would receive the Holy Spirit and gifts of the Spirit. And all of a sudden, she began to speak. And she began to speak in English. The only thing I found out later, she didn't understand English. She was speaking in other tongues. Unknown to her, but known to me, just as it was in the Bible. And you say, well, what did she say? I can still remember. She said, my God is good. My God is great. My heart is fed. And she just worshiped the Lord in English. I talked to her later through an interpreter. I said, ask her. Because I, I didn't know at first that she couldn't speak English. I said, tell her that, that she spoke English. And we understood her. And so he spoke to her. I saw her eyes get big, and they talked back and forth. And I said, he said, she doesn't understand English. And I said, well, tell her we understood her, uh, that she did, and we understood her. So he talked back and forth. And she talked back to him. I said, what did she say? She said she didn't know that she had spoken English. And she was going to go home and tell her husband that she spoke English. I mean, that's an experience of impartation through the Holy Spirit. Um, and gifts are given through the laying on of hands. Um, that's another aspect, an impartation. Here's the next one. Healing of the body or soul or psyche um, is the Greek word. Uh, it says in Mark 16, 18, and these signs will follow those who believe. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And so there is a process of laying on of hands when someone ill, sick, needs healing. You can lay hands on them and through the impartation of God's Holy Spirit, a gift of healing can be granted to an individual. It can be in the area of your soul. The Bible says he heals the brokenhearted. Sometimes there's emotional hurts and pains, and through the laying on of hands, there can be an impartation of grace to the person that heals them. This is all part of the ministry of impartation, laying on of hands. It doesn't do away with our salvation and justification by faith, it just adds on to it. There's an impartation along with the experience of putting your faith in Christ. In the Bible, the way it was initiated was through the laying on of hands. Here's the last one. Empowerment for an assignment. So it says in Acts 13, verse 2 and 3, and they ministered to the Lord and fasted. This was the elders at the church in Antioch, and they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit was calling Paul and Barnabas to go out and to travel and to start churches. And it says, Then, having fasted and prayed, 
and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So they prayed over them and laid hands for an impartation of the Holy Spirit into their life to empower them for the mission and the assignment they were sent. It's a powerful thing. The laying on of hands for impartation. So what I'm trying to just share in this area of impartation is, is to say we need that renewing of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's part of the process. It's done in times when believers lay hands on one another for the impartation of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, it's, it's a powerful thing. Um, you know, it comes to my mind now. My dad, uh, he was raised in the early days of Pentecost. His parents got saved right when the Pentecostal movement started to move in the early 1900s through Ontario. And I remember my dad talking about uh, people speaking, and he would make statements like, um, I got my experience. When did you get your experience? It's funny, just the terminology. Because it wasn't just doctrinal. It starts there. But there's an experience in the Lord. And you've heard me say over and over again, don't miss the power dynamic of the Holy Spirit in your life. He wants to move in your life. He wants to give you an experience. Now, we're not just to follow experiences. Our experiences are to be based in the truth and the doctrine of God's word. But the experiences are there for us, and we're incomplete without the move of God's Holy Spirit in our life. And so, again, that's one of the reasons we are implementing this first Sunday of every uh, month. We want to have a, a time where, as believers, we can come together and we can just wait on the Lord, and we can worship, and we can share, and we can pray, and we can lay hands on one another, and we can believe the Lord for an impartation of his Holy Spirit. It's all part of being a Christian and growing in the Lord. Here's the last point. A hungry heart and expectant faith are keys to receive. A hungry heart, expectant faith are keys to receive. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. What condition is the heart that God can impart to? It's a hungry heart that yearns for the Lord, desires the Lord. Their thoughts are towards the Lord. I, I want more of you. I need you in my life. I need your power in this area. I realize I come short. I realize I'm not dedicated to you. Lord, I need an impartation of your spirit. That's hunger. The Bible says if you hunger after that, you shall be filled. You'll be filled with the hunger after the Lord. You can't give someone a hungry heart. I wish I could. I wish I could just say to someone, you know, now you got a hungry heart. It comes from within. It comes from your own desire for the Lord. Hunger after the Lord. Hunger after the Lord. I, I've prayed many times to say, Lord, give me a greater hunger. 
I realize I don't have the hunger, but Lord, give me a greater hunger. He answers those prayers. Wherever you start, he will meet you. Whatever you desire from the Lord, he will meet you. But it's a hungry heart, a hunger after the Lord. Again, my dad had an expression. You've heard me say it before about people. He'd say, that person's got a heart after God. That's just another way of saying they had a hungry heart. And then there's other people that are Christians, and you realize they don't have a hunger after God. And, and you just, how do you give someone a hunger? You know, I do think we can influence it, because the Bible says we're salt and light. You put salt on something, it makes you thirsty. And, and I do find myself, I've, I've seen times when I'm around people, and they're serving God, and I see their fervor, and I see what they're doing, and it creates a hunger, and I say, God, I, I want what they have. I, I, I want to be dedicated like they're dedicated. Well, some of my earliest prayers was, Lord, I want to know you like my dad knows you. Those are hungry. Those are things that produces hunger. And as you hunger after the Lord, he will fill you. You'll receive it. The other is an expectant heart, a heart that expects the Lord to move. Acts 3.5 the man that needed healing. It says, he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. I think this is what, why even laying on of hands uh, is in the scripture. It's a point of contact. It's a point of focus. I hunger after this. I desire it. I'm now in the presence of the Lord with these people. They're going to pray for me. They're going to lay hands on me to receive it, and you focus your faith, and you're expecting in that moment that I'm going to receive, and it happens. But it's a work of the Lord. Man does not control it. All we can do is position ourselves for God to move. But it's a powerful thing. I wish I had time to go through each one of these when I receive these impartations. The time when I received the impartation of the Holy Spirit when I was 14. The times when I received a gift of the Spirit. I, I still remember the name, man's name. I was 21 years of age. I don't know his first name. All I, all I knew him was by Brother Burlock. He laid his hands on me when I was 21 years of age. He spoke a prophetic word over my life. I wrote it down when I got home. You know, that was a lifelong word. And I still see it working out in my life. It's like in that moment when he laid his hands on me when I was 21 years of age, he spoke a prophetic word and an impartation into my life and my future and what God wanted to do in my life. I can't, I can't, I couldn't produce that. It was just an impartation of God's spirit. It downloaded into my heart. And I st still see it working. That was a gift of God's spirit. It was a gift of faith. I don't know how to label it even. I just know there was an impartation in that moment. And those impartation moments are not like, oh, it's so emotional. I'm so emotional that I lose it. Yeah, it can be because our emotions are tied to our spirit. But it doesn't have to be. This is a spiritual impartation, not a physical one. But sometimes when you feel God in your spirit, you'll cry, some people shake, some people just faint. But that's not what it's about. 
It's the spiritual impartation. And if you long after God, you will receive that impartation. And whether you have any physical manifestation, it really doesn't matter because you're hungering after God. You're not hungering after the physical manifestation. And so as we desire God and hunger after God, there are moments of impartation. Wow. I'm expectant of these nights that we're going to have. We just want to structure our church that there are times for impartation. Now, obviously, we've done it in the services in the past, as you can come forward, be prayed for. Um, but to have a prolonged time uh, on a Sunday evening where we can just wait in his presence, I believe God will use this. So I invite you, be sure to be back tonight and in future times. If you receive this word, would you just stand with me right now? I wonder, just as we close this service, we can just raise our hands. If you, if you just are open to impartation into your life, would you just reach out your hands and just as if you're going to receive something from the Lord. Lord, we stand at the end of this service hearing these truths about impartation. Lord, we hunger for it. I desire it more and more in my life. I desire it for this congregation, Lord. Yes, for us to know the truths of our salvation and to believe them and experience the salvation you have for us. But Lord, we wait for the impartation of your spirit, that ongoing work of your Holy Spirit in our life. Lord, you said where two or three are gathered together, you're in the midst of us. And Lord, we're gathered in your name this morning. You're right here in this place, right now in this place. You said you inhabit the praises of your people. We've worshipped you tonight. We know, Lord, you're here in this place right now. And so, Lord, we just reach out to you and say, Lord, you know what we need. Would you just impart it in this simple moment of prayer? We open our hearts to you. You see the hunger in people's hearts. Would you feel the hunger in each person's heart right now? May they experience your presence, your reality. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. And amen, and amen, amen.